Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Monday. Another week ahead of us. Looking forward to it. Let's dive in. The January 6th Select Committee, after months of investigations, will be making criminal referrals to the Department of Justice for Donald Trump and others and the possible crimes they've committed. And so this is happening while we're recording this episode, so you'll know even more about this once you're actually watching. But either way it goes, this is a big deal. And Trump will be having these criminal referrals brought to the Justice Department by the committee and also others that have surrounded these events as well. And so, so much as we've seen some in these public hearings of evidence has been gathered by the committee, just revealing both how much Trump and his allies wanted to overturn the 2020 election and how they actually tried to, but then also on January 6th, how much Trump purposefully prevented things from happening to stop the tragedy that was taking place. And he very much knew that he could step in, he could call off the mob and he didn't. So all of that y'all know, we've reported on it a ton, but now this committee and their investigatory process is coming to an end and it's concluding with them bringing criminal referrals to the Justice Department, which all of that means is they're saying, listen, we've been investigating him, but they're a political entity, so they can't bring charges onto Trump. So instead they're saying, here's the evidence that we have that makes us believe charges are warranted, but the Department of Justice has to act independently. So they'll be able to look through this evidence, they'll be able to consider that, but then also will act completely um, independently and make their own decision about what charges should be brought on or if any at all should be. And so I am pretty confident Trump will be charged just because of the evidence that I'm aware of. But I just want to repeat one more time, this is not the committee forcing the DOJ to do anything in particular, if that makes sense. Really quickly, and then we'll dive into uh, Trump's response to all this or what he's been ranting about recently. The House January 6th committee commenced its final meeting Monday to approve criminal referrals against former President Donald Trump and others to the Department of Justice, likely adding to public pressure to prosecute Trump for his attempted coup. The referrals, unlike the committee's contempt of Congress recommendations, do not need the approval of the full House. Like the contempt referrals, they cannot force prosecutors to charge or even start an investigation against anyone. Publicly known subpoenas and witness appearances, though, suggest that Trump and anyone else likely to be referred by the committee are already under active criminal investigation. So similar to what I was saying there, this is not forcing or obligating the DOJ to do anything. The DOJ will continue independently acting and doing its investigation and then can consider this evidence as well and make up their own minds. So very important stuff. Hopefully Trump will be held accountable. And now we get to while this news has been breaking and all this has been reported on that this is the committee's decision and they'll likely be announcing it as we're recording this. Trump has just been raging on true social, the sign of a very panicked Trump. Um, as he writes here, our country is sick inside, very much like a person dying of cancer. The crooked FBI, the so-called Department of Justice and Intelligence, all parts of the Democratic Party and system, of course that's not true, is the cancer. These weaponized thugs and tyrants must be dealt with or our once great and beautiful country will die. And as per usual, there are capitalizations in so many places where they don't belong, but that is just the way we roll now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, threat to democracy, 
starts his next message is the radical left uh, Democrats new chant like Russia, Russia, Russia before it and all the rest. It is a total disinformation hoax and scam. They are the ones who are the real threat to democracy. Remember, the Democrats policies are destroying our country. They stink. Disinformation and weaponization of justice is all they've got, but someday it will all come back to haunt them. Make America great again. And I just must know, I know the grammatical or the textual stuff he throws in there that makes absolutely no sense, like capitalizations or that he puts stink in quotations. That doesn't matter, but I just have to say it because it's so strange. What do you mean stink? Who Are you referring to someone saying stink or do you not really mean stink or odd? So that's what Trump's raging about. And I do believe that whenever he starts going this kind of wild on Truth Social or Twitter before it, it's because he's actually getting nervous. He's actually getting stressed. And he knows based on the public hearings and he knows based on the evidence, he's aware of being present now within these particular events and the documentation of them and the investigations into them, that if our justice system acts the way that it should, if our justice system considers the evidence like it should, he's gonna be held accountable. And that terrifies Donald Trump. The leading cause of death now in the United States for children, for individuals age one to 18, is gun-related deaths, gun violence. We're gonna look at that. Then we're gonna get to Louis Gohmert, GOP representative Louis Gohmert, who in the midst of this revelation that more people need to be thinking about and a hearing that he was a part of, he decided to direct the attention about gun violence in the absolutely wrong direction in such a dishonest way, as we'll look at after we um, walk through this. So the New York Times put out a piece just kind of walking through this. It is titled Childhood's Greatest Danger, the Data on Kids and Gun Violence. And then it has a graphic here showing that for a long time, motor vehicle crashes were the leading cause of death for children. And now guns have overtaken that, which is so horrifying. And then just one part I wanna read from this. The gun death rate for children is nearly five in every 100,000. It was flat for more than a decade, starting in 2000, and most years fewer than three in every 100,000 children were killed by guns. In 2014, the rate began to creep up. And by 2020, guns became the leading killer. Last year was a particularly violent one. 3,597 children died by gunfire, according to provisional statistics from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The death rate from guns was the highest it has been in more than 20 years. While the statistics for this year are incomplete, it is clear that the carnage has not receded. And you can see this on the second chart here, the massive spike in gun deaths for kids uh, 1 to 18. So with that in mind, not only should that motivate us deeply to care about this issue and fight for the correct policies to prevent this from being a reality, we also need to recognize a lot of what's stopping us from taking that action that we talk about on the show so often that would actually address these issues properly is many members of our political leadership disproportionately within the Republican Party, including Louis Gohmert. As you'll see in this clip where during a hearing titled uh, Examining Uvalde, the search for bipartisan solutions to gun violence, they're supposed to be looking for real solutions to gun violence. And as we just saw there, 
this is the lives are kids are at stake when talking about these solutions and this is what louis gomer has to offer other and that's what it comes down to it, more than just fatherlessness we have started teaching children that there's no absolute right and wrong it, it what feels good is probably okay we've got schools that are grooming children to be what our current laws say is sexual assault of a child, and it's going on publicly. Our morality as biblical, Judeo-Christian morality has gone out the window. So that is other. Okay, and so he's trying to make this an issue of morality, that the reason why the United States, so much more than many comparable developed countries, has a massive problem with gun violence. The reason that he believes that is the case is because of morality and grooming in, in schools. And as we talk about so often, if you make grooming something that you're trying to attack the Democratic Party with, without evidence, saying it's the left, they want to groom your children, then to me that indicates you don't actually care about the issue of grooming because that's actually an issue sexual assault, sexual harassment, uh, and then in particular, child molestation, all of that real issues that must be addressed, that matter. And if you try to make that a political thing to attack a movement that absolutely does not at all have the intention of grooming uh, children, then you don't actually care about real solutions to that problem because the solution does not lie in going after the Democratic Party. And the examples they use to prove this are completely baseless. And then, in particular, as we talked about a lot, they use it as a way to go after the LGBTQ community by saying that this is the agenda of the LGBTQ community to go after your kids, which of course is so dishonest and dangerous. With that being said, to say that that is the reason why we have so much gun violence is to actively, purposefully, aggressively ignore the data and ignore the facts. Because when you break down multiple variables, there are multiple things that contribute to gun violence. A hundred million percent, yes. And there are multiple problems that must have solutions uh, for them that would minimize gun violence. That's true. But if you ignore the gun piece of it, then you're being dishonest. Now, I think it would also be wrong to ignore mental health, for sure, to ignore the way that poverty plays into this, to ignore all these other factors. But if, but we don't ignore those. I don't ignore those other variables. I think those should be addressed as well. It seems to be the case that people like Louis Gomer actively want to ignore one of the very important aspects of this, which is in the United States, we both have way more and have way less regulated firearms. And so that just wild a coincidence we also have a much larger issue with gun violence of course it's not a coincidence and uh i plead every day with people to recognize that but sadly it won't be happening soon for many who uh make this a part of their political identity second moment here from louis gomer our problem is very clear to me it's not with weapons it's with the lack of morality. It's exactly what uh, President Adams said over 200 years ago. He saw it. If you're not teaching children that there is absolute right and wrong, there may be gray areas, there are, as every lawyer would tell you, but 
But there are some absolutes that are right or wrong. Our so what's the proposal, Louis? And this is what is so enraging to watch because often other issues come up when they want to not talk about the gun control. But while it's so important we address the regulation and laws surrounding guns because that is one of the variables that is so different than many other countries and why we have a larger problem with it but even the other ones too i don't even know what he's proposing as an alternate solution okay you think the one that has the most evidence behind it being let's change the way that we regulate guns not to take everyone's guns away no but just to have a proper system in place so that those who shouldn't have guns don't get them and uh, we have an awareness of where guns are going in a little bit more effective of a way. But okay, if you're saying we can't talk about that, what are you proposing? Morality? Be more moral is the next piece of legislation Louis Gohmert's gonna propose. That's not actually something we can do. And so instead, he just kind of has to talk, 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 say enough words until the issue passes by, nothing gets done, and he's done his job. And it's so aggravating because as we started this segment with, thousands of children are dying because we can't act correctly and the more years that pass by as we don't act correctly the more people that will have to be subjected to this violence and that matters and that's why we have to keep pushing and keep talking about this issue every single day let me know what you think luke p beasley on twitter i have something for you that is going to cause you to cringe so aggressively that i honestly am worried for your health but you should watch it because it's crazy and it's Carrie Lake. And she appeared at a Turning Point USA event, conference, leadership, something or another, the Freedom Patriot, Eagle Flag <laughs> situation. And uh, she had some things to say. She was feeling brave and courageous as ever. Honestly, this is going to be funny, okay? The second clip in particular is so just... Ugh. But... I also recognize how scary this is, as you'll see in this first clip, where she's just openly being proud of being against our democracy. With that being said, take a look at this first moment. I know that right now we can identify as anything we want to identify as, but I want you to know that I identify as a proud, election-denying, deplorable. Are you with me? So we're in a place in America where a crowd of people who are supposed to be conservatives who talk a lot about we love the constitution all that are cheering for someone saying raise your hand if you hate democracy and my pronouns are <laughs> I just saw another red light go off, by the way. And my pronouns are I won. And look at how proud her face is after saying that. She's just, mm, I killed it. Okay, the whole my pronouns are and then filling in the blank with some random words is not offensive to anyone because we've heard it a million times. It's just something that tickles you that we don't understand why you think it's so funny okay i don't know what to tell you carrie lake i don't know what the pride is there of uh how clever you are but 
The other aspect of it is that exemplifies, and again, I warn you, this next clip I'm going to show you is even more wild, but um, this exemplifies the, the change in the Republican Party that is so significant, where now it sells among at least a part of the Republican Party to celebrate as someone who lost your election, as a loser of an election, to celebrate winning it when you didn't. That's so backwards and so strange. And they always like to say, you know, the left is all sensitive and they get offended by everything and they're snowflakes and they're triggered. She's too triggered. She's too much of a snowflake. She's too sensitive to just accept she lost. That puts too much of a boo-boo on her heart that she can't just accept what thousands of candidates have accepted in the past, which is sometimes you lose elections and you move forward. And people like Trump, people like her just can't accept that so instead, they come up with a whole story, a whole lie to surround themselves instead. Second moment here. Take a look. Thank you. We are Americans and we bow to one king and that is our creator. So watch this, okay? She'll talk about her, the creator, which great. But then instantly in her mind when she hears God is coming back, she thinks uh, Trump. Trump is coming back. That's how interconnected God and Trump are in her mind. It's wild. God. Can I get an amen on that one? We got to bring God back, guys. I, listen, I want to bring somebody else back. I think you know who I'm talking about, President Donald J. Trump. He and I have become good friends. That man cares more about this country than anybody I know. He's given up more than anybody I know. And these bastards of the media want to drag him through the mud. So, um... For our podcast listeners, she did the F-U sign with the fist pointing up. Um, wow. As if we're in middle school. Mm -hmm. That is just so pitiful. Um, so that's her message. And I went to this event recently where these journalists were talking about Trump's presidency. And it's so damaging to both now simultaneously be breaking down our democratic process through doubting without evidence our election processes and convincing people to not believe in them and think that all these things are going on that aren't and also be going after journalism and the media in the ways they do you should criticize the media 100 percent, but to try to convince your followers that the only source of truth is you and no other reporting no other journalism is accurate unless i tell you it's accurate is so dangerous because journalism is the way that we hold our leaders accountable but if you can tell your followers don't believe any of the journalists, just believe me, then you don't have that accountability branch of our system, if that makes sense. And so there's so many elements of this that are dangerous and scary. And also, if it wasn't so dangerous, it would be deeply silly. Because right there, a losing gubernatorial candidate is needing a crowd to cheer for her, to convince her that it's all okay because she actually won based on lies, and is childishly saying F you to the media. It's just so comedic if it wasn't so dangerous and so severe. 
And so this is why we keep talking about it because a lot of people are still bought into this. And while luckily Carrie Lake did lose, there's still a powerful and present movement that stands behind her lies as you saw in that room. And it's just completely dangerous and completely wild. Please uh, go over and follow me, Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. Let me know what you think of all of this. Tucker Carlson also spoke at this Turning Point USA event over the weekend, and he got asked about Trump versus DeSantis. Very interesting response, as you'll see here. He kind of does his best to avoid and kind of dodges the question over and over, but try to derive some meaning from, from this wandering. And I'm a really big fan of your show. Thank you. What's a 2022 Republican primary election happening? Isn't it so sad that there are fans of Tucker Carlson's show? Yikes. Soon, who do you plan to support, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? Well, who am I going to support? Well, Joshua, as you've noticed, uh, my endorsement means a lot to American voters. Um. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that except for I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> this is the new me, Joshua. I, I started to grasp, but this, it is relevant. I, I, I just interviewed Mike Tyson. And like, I had no interest in interviewing Mike Tyson. I didn't know anything about Mike Tyson, you know, what I remember him boxing, but that was it. And two really good friends of mine said, you don't know Mike Tyson? I was like, how would I know Mike Tyson? You know, I host a show on Fox. Like, Mike Tyson is actually a wonderful person, a totally honest person, really smart, and you should interview him. And so I did. I interviewed Mike Tyson. And my friends were absolutely right. He's one of the most interesting, I'm still- Who, who was it? Who did you interview? Who? who? Still thinking about what he said, believe it or not. And it's like, that's why life is wonderful. You're always surprised. And I was, I was shocked by what a marvelous and good person Mike Tyson was. But one of the things that he said that I've been thinking about ever since, a week and a half ago, I said, you know, you go out in public a lot and you're one of the most famous people in the world and I'm sure everyone's nice to you, but some people are probably not nice. How do you feel when people criticize you? And he said, because he's extremely sincere, he said, you know, when I feel like I'm somebody, I'm really offended by it. But when I remember I'm nobody, it's okay. Mm. So the question was, DeSantis or Trump? And I thought, I need to be more like that. That's exactly right. I mean, let's be honest. Who cares what I think? You know what I mean? Like, Well, uh, considering that you have a show that gets broadcast to millions of people every single night, I think a lot of people care what you think. I'm not endorsing anybody. I have no idea what's going to happen in the Republican primary. I, am, I spend a lot of time in Florida, and I think... To be clear... I don't know why they care what you think, but they do. Ron DeSantis has done like an unbelievable job. And I mean that. I don't know DeSantis that well, but let me put it this way. People move to Florida because he's the governor. I've lived in a lot of states. You know, I grew up in California. I've lived in DC, Rhode Island, Arkansas. Like I've kind of, you know, I've lived in this country for over 50 years. I know it pretty well. And I've never lived in a state where people just like unbidden at dinner are like, you know, I'm really, really glad we have our governor. What? You know, like, I've never lived in a place where people knew who the governor was. The governor? Really? Was he here? No, I just love him. But people will literally say that about Ron DeSantis where I live. It's like, what? I will say, if I was at a dinner with somebody and they said, I moved to Florida because of Ron DeSantis, 
I will not be at that dinner for too much longer. <laughs> you moved to Florida because of Ron DeSantis. Wow. So I'm so impressed by that. Um, I'm so grateful that Donald Trump ran in 2016. Donald Trump, like... Donald Trump completely changed my view of everything. Donald Trump is why I left Washington. And he did it in a really simple way by asking questions that no one around him could answer. He showed up and said things like, why don't we have a border? Shut up! <laughs> so, we have a border. <laughs> Shut up, racist! Or my personal favorite, he's like, what's the point of NATO? And you're like, and, and I, I grew up, I mean, my dad. The invasion of Ukraine is a great example of the purpose of NATO, Tucker. Also, the reason why Russia wouldn't dare at this point in time to invade Poland, for example, or one of the other countries on their border is because of NATO. So that's one of the reasons why NATO exists still. Dad worked for the government and I was you know, had a front row seat to the Cold War. I mean, it was like being waged in my house. Like my dad worked for the government fighting the Soviets. So like NATO was like a great thing because it kept the Soviets from invading Western Europe. But that ended in August of 1991. But I never thought about it again until 2016 when Donald Trump brought it up. Ever. What's the point of NATO? And I thought, well, that's a great question. I've, what's the answer? And all my neighbors were like, shut up, racist. Shut up. <laughs> And that's when I realized, oh, wait, I live in a city where nobody can defend what we're doing. And if people can't defend what they're... Okay, so just very confused. And I guess to the question that was asked, he's saying, I love Ron DeSantis, but I also love Donald Trump. And he goes on for a super long time that I can't show all of complimenting Trump and all this and then saying he doesn't really know what's going to happen in the Republican primary. So not taking a hard stance, but leaving his options open and complimenting both of those figures. It is interesting, though. He seems to be getting confused. He's saying he called out issues and everyone was calling him racist. And that's what he loved about Trump, because Trump asked questions that no one else would ask. But the questions he was asking, no one would have called him racist for. Honestly, no one would even be that uh, aggravated at except for some factual incorrect statement so for example why do we have an open border well we don't so that's just not correct but it's when you start dehumanizing the people coming across the border that maybe you get called racist and then the nato thing who's calling you racist for not wanting to be a nato i can explain to you why we should be a nato but i don't think it's an actual story of someone calling you racist anyways that's always kind of his bit because he gets called racist so often for many times good reason and he likes to pretend that every normal thing he says, people respond, you're racist, when it's really the horrible dehumanizing and dog whistly stuff he says often about immigrants, for sure. But again, to the headline of this story, he's taking kind of a backseat, leaving his options open on the issue of Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. Donald Trump Jr. also spoke at this Turning Point USA event that occurred over the weekend, and we looked at Carrie Lake, we've looked at Tucker Carlson now, Donald Trump Jr. And this moment was so ironic in an awkward and funny way that I had to pull it for you. Donald Trump Jr. is trying to make the point that you'll hear at the beginning of the clip, he's starting by saying that he was getting suppressed on social media and he wasn't getting as much engagement as he should have, but then he shifts to saying, 
This is part of the left's and the kind of media's attempt to lift up, as he calls, less articulate uh, right-wingers and make them the face of the right-wing movement and suppress the more articulate and better communicating right-wingers. I promise you, the content didn't go to hell. The content was good, a little bit rough, but it happened like that every time. Right now we see it, now we see it in the files. Whether it's Charlie who's done an incredible job growing this group. Then we saw it was me they were trying to cancel as well as part of that. I was like shocking, I'm so shocked that people who are effective communicators, people who are willing to engage in the insanity that we are up against, of course those are the ones they shut down. You know who they put? The people who can't articulate a point, who look ridiculous, the, those are the people on the right. Because we all have our lunatics. They'll boost that to make it seem like that's the fight between the one rational leftist and the, the ludicrous rightist. But we okay, so this is actually really important to talk about because there's an issue in a lot of political settings where one side for their benefit will talk about only the dumbest people of the other side and that side will talk about only the so then most people are misinformed about actually what the other side looks like in a wholesale sense and one of the things i do a lot is talk to you about this isn't everybody or this is not representative of every single conservative but here's who this does represent and so i want to break this down because i've gotten people even on my videos, making this critique of, oh, you spend too much time talking about this person or that person. And it's, it's just the one crazy right winger, you shouldn't talk about them. But here's why what he's saying is actually incorrect. Number one, what's ironic and silly about it is he's the goofy right winger that people will focus on. So it's funny that he's like, why don't you focus more on me? Because I'm actually great at communicating. When <laughs> I play clips of him, when I've covered him and barely even have to add commentary, because he's just like, huh, look. <laughs> Right. But more importantly, the reason why we spend so much time on this show looking at critiquing people within the right wing and we don't go find like who's the dumbest person we can find within the left wing space is because I care about who has power and influence within politics. I'm covering American politics. So what matters to cover the most is those in power or those who influence power in a significant way. So people like Trump or even Marjorie Greene or the Lauren Boeberts or all these people that we'll cover that I think would fall into kind of the radical right winger category. We cover them not only because they're saying wacky and dangerous stuff, but also because they represent a movement in our country and they have power. Trump's power used to be actually in our government, but now has become the movement that he leads. And then some of these other people are actually in our government. So the difference between, he said, every side has their lunatics, true. But the difference between the right wing, quote unquote, lunatics and the left wing, quote unquote, lunatics, is where things stand now, it's a very fringe group on the left who admittedly, sometimes on Twitter, I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are going crazy. But it doesn't represent the broader movement that affects people's lives within power, right? Whereas the right wing group actually has their hands on power in significant ways. And so that's why we cover them. And the way I like to phrase it is it's not my fault that you choose to put up Herschel Walker as your senatorial candidate, for example. I think maybe he would put that person as someone who kind of makes a fool of himself.
It's not our fault that you put Marjorie Taylor Greene as a congressional candidate. It's not my fault that you put Carrie Lake as a gubernatorial candidate. That's what the Republican Party is choosing. Whereas whenever the right wingers go find like the person who gets owned the hardest on the left within liberal Twitter or whatever, they can't show me how that connects to the power centers that influence people's lives. So that's where the distinction is for me. And that's why I format the show the way that I do. And um, it's funny that he's trying to blur those lines and that he doesn't represent or recognize that he represents the goofy right wingers that we oftentimes find ourselves laughing at. Elon Musk is just having so many disasters pop up in his management of Twitter. And now seems to be the case that even he's recognized that and has put out a poll asking Twitter users, and they've resoundingly come to a conclusion if he should step down as CEO of Twitter. Here's the results. He says, should I step down as head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. And 57.5%, a clear majority said yes. So we'll see if he actually does it. But this is in the wake of a couple different big blowups where he banned journalists and that caused a bunch of people to be justifiably upset. And then as of late, he was implementing a policy where you couldn't promote other social media platforms on Twitter or something of that. So when they walked that back because it was a disaster. And again, weren't you the free speech guy? And now you're putting in all these random, very anti-free speech uh, policies, even though I don't think Twitter is a matter of the First Amendment, as you guys know. Mm, I know Twitter's not a matter of the First Amendment. Many people don't seem to recognize that. But if you were trying to say, I'm going to have a very laissez-faire, very free attitude about the regulation of Twitter, that has not been the case with Elon Musk at all. But with that being said, I loved, I'll just show you the beginning of this clip, the way that Jessica Tarlov on Fox News, actually, she's the liberal host on The Five, kind of responded to all of this, not the Twitter poll, but before while he was suspending journalists and all that. What would you like to say? I would like to say that I think that Elon Musk needs a content moderation team, that he needs the Trust and Safety Council to come back so that people could actually see that there were folks and not just one man deciding that because his feelings got hurt or he felt unsafe, even though that Elon Jet account is just publicly available information, right? So let's be clear about that. And that assassination attempt on his child, and it is very scary for someone to climb on top of a car that has your kid in there. He didn't report it to the police, which seems strange. And then Donnie O'Sullivan, one of the reporters that we just showed, um, got suspended from Twitter for just tweeting out the fact that the LAPD had said that he didn't file a report. It had nothing to do with his coordinates, nothing to do with an assassination at all. And the transition from Republicans being up in arms about preserving the First Amendment to, eh, you know, cry harder libs is really <laughs> something to behold. So and again, the Twitter arguments have nothing to do with the First Amendment unless the government was doing something um, in relation to our speech. So it's fascinating. I love the point she was making because it's so true that it went from we don't like the way that Twitter's moderating because it's authoritarian and all these things. So then he got rid of the moderation team. But now he's just doing it as one person. And so it's even more up to the emotions and kind of sensitivities of that one person 
not at all principled, right? And so if you really wanted Twitter to be a freer space where there's less moderation, that's something you could lobby for. And I don't mean lobby in the political sense, but just kind of push for. And if enough people felt that way, and Twitter was afraid that upset customers were gonna leave because so many people wanted their policies to change, they would have to change their policies. As of now, it seems to be the case that enough users want some sort of regulation where the platform doesn't go completely crazy and everyone's um, going ham on it. And so that's kind of where they settled. But this is just your patronizing a business and with whatever value that brings, you can decide to try to make changes with the way they kind of format their processes. But it's not a matter of, oh, it, we're being oppressed by the government somehow through Twitter, complete incorrect thinking on that front. And now, as funny and as ironic as this is, Twitter has become less of a principally run platform where one person is just getting offended and banning people instead of a moderation team trying to make those judgments based on some set of rules that they've outlined. Again, there's flaws, there's bad decisions that have been made by Twitter in their moderation process, but having a team that tries to figure out some sort of process that they can be consistent with is better than one billionaire who bans people when he gets offended, which is now what it's become. And that in part seems to be why Twitter has voted him out. And we'll see if he actually uh, does that. Speaking of Twitter, I'm on it, Luke P. Beasley. Interesting report I saw coming out of uh, CNN about how those around Biden and presumably Biden himself feel very bolstered after both the midterms and recent political wins by Joe Biden. And the reason why I want to cover this is it's indicating to me we're more likely to see Biden announce a 2024 re-election bid, which will be wild, especially if it's Trump versus Biden again. That's going to be brutal, but uh, we will follow it each step of the way. Here's the CNN report. As 2022 comes to a close, President Joe Biden's top advisor, Mike Donilon, has a rosy outlook on the president's political durability. Biden heads into the new year with a strong jolt of momentum, he says. That's according to a memo that Donilon, one of Biden's most trusted advisors who has worked with the president for decades, sent to interested parties Monday morning and was first shared with CNN. Quote, we see the president's approval rating on the upswing, a resilient economic climate, and strong support for the president's agenda. Donilon's memo begins. Donald writes that one of the most important factors contributing to Biden's upswing is a resilient economy. As he cites jobs growth, the recent drop in gas prices, and the moderation of inflation. Historically high prices have been a stubborn problem plaguing the White House for much of Biden's first term in office so far. But recent economic indicators suggest that inflation in the U.S. may finally be starting to slow. Among the public polling that Donald cites in his New memo is CNN's December survey, which showed Biden's job approval rating at 46%. That marked an improvement from 40, uh, the 41% approval seen in late October and his strongest numbers in CNN polling since a year ago. The memo comes as Biden has said he will take time over the winter holidays to deliberate with his family whether to seek a second term with an announcement expected in the new year. So I think if the sentiment as being reported by CNN from Donilon there, is that Joe Biden is politically strong right now and they feel a lot of energy in the White House towards kind of the new year and what they've gotten done previously and the economic indicators and all of that. 
I definitely think that increases Biden's chances, regardless of the remaining variables about the future that remain, namely his age and all of that. It's definitely becoming more likely he'll run again if right now they feel very politically strong and effective. It's much more likely um, that if things were going horrible, the midterms went terrible, he hasn't been able to get things done, that he would want to kind of, all right, I'm out. But because he right now does not feel that way, feels really good, approval rating got a little bump, that he'll feel more juiced up for a possible 2024 announcement. Which, as I've said, the idea of him running again and going through a whole nother four years of being president is very concerning to me. I also recognize there are so few just crazy strong candidates to take his place. So my stance is one of, I think Biden's done good stuff. I don't think he should run for re-election. And I'm panicked about who's going to replace him, who would be very strong to defeat a Republican, which is not a great place to be. But we'll definitely be seeing what he does. And that will very much define the next two years of the show in the type of coverage we'll be doing of all the different presidential primary business and all that. Donald Trump released a video outlining what he, I guess, is proclaiming to be his policy proposals and plan if he were to become president again to combat the attack on free speech that he feels is taking place. Now, of course, a lot of this, and then we'll show you the video, it's strange, is rooted in the Twitter files drop, right? Everyone, many people I would say on the right believe that the Twitter files proved that something crazy took place and there was some huge suppression and it affected the election and we walked through you can look at past segments why that's not the case and how really it was just an example of yeah this private company trying to figure out how to moderate different stories maybe you've made mistakes on certain stories but it actually didn't have any significant effect in the way that they pretend that it does and then on the particular biden angle of it his campaign reached out as did the Trump White House, while Trump actually was the president, and would say, hey, Twitter, something on your platform violates your term of service, can you take it down? And they would respect those requests, not some big sign of collusion or anything like that. And again, Trump's White House did that as well, so the condemnations would have to fly both ways if you're going to. With all that being said, take a look at this very strange video where I guess because of his misinterpretation of the Twitter files drop, he's now saying, all of this stuff has to be done when I become president again to combat the attack on free speech. Take a look. If we don't have free speech, then we just don't have a free country. It's as simple as that. If this most fundamental right is allowed to perish, then the rest of our rights and liberties will topple just like dominoes one by one. They'll go down. That's why today I'm announcing my plan to shatter the left-wing censorship regime and to reclaim the right to free speech for all Americans. And reclaim is a very important word in this case because they've taken it away. In recent weeks, bombshell reports have confirmed that a sinister group of deep state bureaucrats, Silicon Valley tyrants, left-wing activists, and... So again, this is not at all what was revealed, but... Okay. and depraved corporate news media have been conspiring to manipulate and silence the American people. They have collaborated to suppress vital information on everything from elections to public health. The censorship cartel must be dismantled and destroyed, and it must happen immediately. And here's my plan. 
First, within hours of my inauguration, I will sign an executive order banning any federal department or agency from colluding with any organization, business, or person to censor, limit, categorize, or impede the lawful speech of American citizens. So that is words, and it sounds like a policy proposal, but it actually means very little because no one's lawful speech was violated in any of what we're talking about. The most you could say happened was Twitter got a little loose with the trigger on banning accounts, which they can do on their private company's platform. And that's just a matter of the consumers need to press on the company if they want some change in the terms of service or in the moderation practices, not anything that involves the president of the United States or the uh, government or because of that, right, the First Amendment. But that's how he wants to portray it, so it's this crisis mode that needs him to come and save. I will then ban federal money from being used to label domestic speech as mis- or disinformation. And I will begin the process of identifying and firing every federal bureaucrat who has engaged in domestic censorship. Strange tone and tenor. It's kind of shouting. The reason I wanted to play that for you, though, is this is going to be a central part of Trump's 2024 message, trying to frame the conversation around the idea that he was wronged in 2020, something horrible, the deep state dizzling 2020. And that's why, okay, yeah, I'm not as politically effective. And yeah, I have all these criminal investigations into me and all these things, but ignore that because I'm the one who's going to fight for freedom of speech. And don't you care about freedom of speech, Republicans? And so you have seen him recently really lean into this message of I'm going to come and save you from the horrible democratic takeover of the tyrannical takeover of the country that's taken away your rights, taken away your freedom of speech. And of course, what he's rooting that in is just not accurate, but it still is working for a lot of people who are following him. And we're getting lucky. It does look like his popularity is falling pretty dramatically, but expect to see the message of I'm going to come in and fight for your freedom of speech when we saw when he was president, he did not respect freedom of speech much at all. One of the notable examples we've talked about is him wanting to use his authority as president to get um, the sources revealed through finding call logs or something of the sort of journalists because he didn't like the reporting that they were doing and wanted to punish them, which is not very pro freedom of the press or pro free speech at all. So. It is dishonest, but it is definitely going to be the message. And unfortunately for a lot of people will be an effective message to lean into. Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, she, nobody forced her to do this, but she just independently decided she was going to go set herself up to be so brutally proven wrong and humiliated. I honestly don't understand what the thinking was behind this besides really wanting to attack Biden and having her facts wrong or really wanting to attack Biden and just being really dishonest. So what is this all in relation to? And then we'll dive into that. The Biden administration has started buying back oil to refill the strategic petroleum reserve. And so we have a stockpile of oil for emergencies and Biden has used some of that reserve to try to lower gas prices. And he sold the oil, right? That's what, whenever it was getting emptied out, he was selling it. And now he's buying back oil to fill back up the strategic petroleum reserve. And Lauren Boat responded to this news by saying, let's go over this. 
Trump stocked up our reserves at record low prices. Then Biden emptied it out to get through the midterms. Now he's going to stock it back up at a much higher price. Pathetic as usual. Well, if you believed that, you would go, yeah, that's so aggravating. Biden made such a bad decision. But the unfortunate thing for Lauren Boebert in this situation is that's the exact opposite of the truth. And as Mice Touch said on Twitter, they responded to her and said, this is the opposite of what happened. The Biden administration sold the oil reserves at high prices. They're now strategically buying oil back at low prices. The US actually made a profit off this. Somebody teach Bobo what it means to sell high and buy low is what they tweeted back at her. And they're absolutely correct. Uh, Markets Insider reported on this. The US government has pocketed a roughly $4 billion windfall from sales of crude this year out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And they walked through the specifics. Since President Joe Biden tapped in the reserves in March, just after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the US has sold 180 million barrels of crude at an average price of $96.25 per barrel. Um, but then the White House has said that it plans to start buying oil for the SPR when U.S. crude price hit 70 to $75 per barrel. So the United States is going to be making a $4 billion windfall. We'll be making the government money through this process. The exact opposite of what Lauren Boebert was telling her audience. So I say again, either she is a United States Congresswoman who doesn't understand how to go to the proper places to find information and find data on all of this, or she actively knows the data and wants to say the opposite to misinform her base. I unfortunately believe it to be the second option there. And this is how so many of these narratives get spun. I know people right now who are walking around thinking that Biden is losing us money through his selling of oil reserves and then buying back. Lots of people believe that and believe that's one of the reasons that he's such a bad president. And so for me, it's always that feeling of Biden has so many flaws and then he's also done good things. So I love to have a discussion with someone who knows the facts and can chat with me. Let me hear what do you think is good about Biden? What do you think he's done incorrect? Let me know, that's interesting to me. But whenever your critiques are not based in fact, now we can't have a conversation. And that's much less interesting to me because I just got to spend all my time fact checking the dishonest or incorrect stances that you have. And that's, again, way less interesting. But there it is, Lauren Boebert, very unfortunately, messing up. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. We'll see you tomorrow.